You're listening to the Dark Depth Podcast. My name is Billy Mitchell, and I, along with my co-host Michael Mapson, appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show every week. It takes a lot of work to make a podcast, but we are proud to present our show to you each and every week. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depth Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dark Depths Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I'm here with the man who slows the sunset himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I'm good. I am, per usual, very tired, but good. How are you? How was the cruise? It was nice. Very relaxing. Got to uh, float in the ocean of the uh, Bahamas, and uh, my daughter had a good time. She was actually super bummed, though. Apparently, uh, on the boat, you are not allowed to have children swimming under two. So she's not quite two yet. She's um, a little less than a year and a half, actually. So the only place she was allowed to swim for eight days was in the ocean in the Bahamas. Um, But she was like looking at the pools that we kept walking by every day and just like crying every time so we eventually like just avoided the pools <laughs> with her entirely so it was uh quite the emotional roller coaster for her i think it's kind yeah. of rude that you would just torture your child like that well it's not like i'm trying to do it right like i if i had my way she would just be swimming like we had the the swim diaper for her i mean it's not i know they're not perfect um the like the particles can get through the swim diaper or whatever so like i get it but i also would have preferred if she could have like at least been in there for a little bit kind of frustrating but but overall it was a, a fun time uh good to try to relax a little bit before we get full swing into the school year uh how the uh well i know we didn't actually get the the show up from last week which i still kind of hear i think it'll, it'll be cool and uh for anyone who missed us last week i guess you get they got a week off too. The the listeners. Is that how how this works? But I mean, <laughs> there was kind of an episode. It was just you know three minutes long. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, the good thing about the episode, at least, is that it's recorded. It's available. We have it, so we'll be able to release it somewhere down the line. Just gotta find a good spot for it. You know what's absurd hmm. is um, I actually recorded it on. I recorded it early, so I recorded it Saturday. Okay. Um, Edited it Tuesday morning. No, like, everything was all good. Had it in the the format type that Anchor takes this time and everything. And I, like, clicked upload. It was just like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Mm. I was like, but I would, I would really like you to. Like, I was ready, like, multiple days in advance. Yeah. I was like, nah, son. <laughs> Not about that uploading life. Yeah, it's, Anchor is a, is a fickle monster, so... Because there are sometimes even, like, recording, and, like, I at this point I'm very used to the format that it needs and all that fun stuff, but there are still some times where I go to upload it and it's like, nah, and I'm like, no, this is happening, and they're like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm like, I know I'm right. So, I don't know. Yeah, I my first thought was, I was like, did I put it in the wrong, like, in the wrong format file again? And then I'm, like, reading the, reading the stuff to make sure I'm good, and I'm like, no, no. I think it just doesn't want to do this right now. It, it, it is... It is fickle, so 
<laughs> it's all right. It'll be good. And once again, I think people will appreciate the show uh, somewhere down the line. So not the worst thing. Uh, plus, I guess it, it actually gives us a little bit of, of time to, um, not that you were talking about this last week, but we had a lot of really interesting developments in the format, both modern and legacy, with the Innistrad Midnight Hunt coming out. So it's actually a really good opportunity for us to look at the format kind of back-to-back. The last, last episode we had that came out was us talking about some of our favorite cards from the set. So now we kind of get like a two-week break to really soak in some of the cards that are showing up in Modern and Legacy, which I think is actually pretty good. It's true, true. So, uh, how about this? I know you played in the Legacy Pit Open, too. Uh, let's start start talking about Modern. After we finish talking about Modern, we'll jump into all things Legacy. Sound good? Sounds good. Cool. Alright, so a couple really, really neat decks that have been making the rounds, and if you have been on Twitter or if you've been on Twitch, you have hopefully seen some of these decks. Uh, what's one of your favorite decks that has popped up as a result of an Estrad Midnight Hunt? Uh, so, why don't we start with uh, the Esper Reanimator shells? Okay, cool. I, I'm kind of loath to say they popped up because, like, Black White Reanimator was already a thing. It was, um, yeah. But I, I do think the blue still adds a lot. So, like, the big addition was is the new card Faithful Mending and the new card Consider. Um, so I think we kind of talked about Consider last week, but for anyone who doesn't know, it's a single blue mana, and it's a Surveil 1 draw card. It doesn't technically say Surveil, but it, it's Surveil. Mm-hmm. And then Faithful Mending for blue and a white, we definitely talked about it, uh, but as a refresher, it's an instant, you gain two life, draw two cards, discard two cards, and it's got flashback for one white and blue. Um, so these cards are huge for this deck because the issue with black-white reanimator was while it did really powerful things, it could be, I don't want to say inconsistent, but like I don't know what other word I would use. Mm-hmm. It just didn't have a great way of uh, putting things into the yard. So this is really nice because now that you get to play blue, you play more of a typical like Drago control style strategy. Um, and then you just have that combo finish of, I'm going to bring back this Archon of Cruelty. And so, like, Faithful Mending is really good for that because if you draw an Archon, you can just, like, end of your opponent's turn, turn it into something nice. Uh, and same thing with Consider, like, you can hold up mana and then just use it whenever because you are playing Counterspell. Mm-hmm. I do know some people are working on this without Counterspell. I don't know which one is better or worse. Could be a metagame dependent thing. I don't know, but I'm, I know I'm definitely interested in these. Well, I like having access to Counterspell if you are, already have the Teferi in play, which I think is actually a really big uh, benefit in this kind of list because being able to plus Teferi and hold up two mana, like it could be Counterspell, but it could be a, a Faithless Mending already. I think that's a really good balance. Uh, but also adding in unmarked grave or persist into that, you know, two mana gamble when you know when your opponent has to ferry uh, plus one. Like I think that's actually really nice. Yeah, and getting getting to persist at instant speed is a huge improvement. Like just not letting the opponent see it coming, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because you could just look like a normal control deck. Like if you just go like turn one thought seize, like turn two prismatic ending your threat. 
turn three, like, resolve to fairy. Like, turn four, pass with mana open. Like, mm. your opponent doesn't know you're on a combo deck. No. You're definitely not. A lot of the cards in this deck that they're playing, and you kind of mentioned this before, like, they're, it, they're just good cards. Like, I am not upset playing Thoughtseize or Prismatic Ending in this format. Um, I think Faithless Mending, uh, we talk, kind of talked about this before, but I think it's just a good card. Like, obviously it is card disadvantage on the front end, but I, I think getting rid of excess lands in the mid-to-late game I think is still very valuable. Um, so without even playing, you know, the Persist, the Unmarked Grave, the Umbrero Wraith, or the Archon, like you're it's passable and like i i don't anticipate having that many issues trying to get into that place where you can get to um you know archon taking over the game and that that card is still such a beating i think every time i uh that thing comes into play i'm like oh this i can win i can win and then i'm like oh wait no it comes into play and attacks okay i'm, I'm dead yeah that card is like really really good <laughs> got a lot of text on it um, whenever you see a mythic with a lot of text, it's either an EDH card or insane. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's how I feel about, like, Primeval Titan, too, and I know this is kind of a, a ways away, but, like, Primeval Titan's one of those cards that has so much text, and, like, you see it in, like, not, I don't want to say random decks, but you're just like, what's the worst thing a Titan can do? And then you're like, oh, I'm dying to Valakut, dying to Feel the Dead, I'm dying to whatever card they want I'm, I'm going to die to, in regardless of what format, even. Like, that card's just always a beating, and I think Archon's in that same boat where, kind of regardless of what your opponent's actually doing with it, you can you can very easily die to an Archon of Cruelty. So, I'm gonna go off even more on a tangent here. Um, <laughs> so, when I, was, when I was newer to Magic, I was drafting, um, and I saw Primeval Titan in the draft, and it was the first time I'd ever seen the card. I read it, and I misread it, and I pass the card. Um, I take something that's... I don't remember what it was. It definitely was not as good as Primeval Titan. Probably not. And sometimes I think about it and I'm just like, you know, even if I misread the card, even if it did what I thought it did, it was still better than whatever the other card I did. <laughs> like, I just missed uh, the part where the trigger still happens if you attack, but it still would have just been insane as a 6-6 six, six ETB, like get two lands and now i have trample like yeah yeah pretty that was a good card it'll haunt me till the day i die <laughs> I, I think you've played enough primeval titans to make up for it um nah not enough <laughs> never enough well, i definitely like this card now it's good to see consider and faithless bending making an impact in this format uh pretty early on gotta when correct I'm you it's faithful uh, faithful, faithful mending. I, once again, I'm, I'm looting till the day I die, so. Yeah, I mean, it's confusing because there's faithless looting, obviously, and there's faithless salvaging. Mm -hmm. but this is faithful. Faithful mending. The opposite. We're hopeful this time. Yeah. We're in white and blue. We have hope and faith. Ah, oh, man. Let's move on to a different modern deck then. Uh, have. Sure. And I think this is definitely one that you've seen before, and it's actually playing a lot of the same cards. Um, we're still playing Consider. We're still playing Faithless Mending. We're actually playing Faithless Salvaging this time. We're still playing Prismatic Ending. So this is actually like just blue, red, white Phoenix. Yeah, so this deck's also really good, um, which reminds me, I still have to order my Demi Lichus. 
They're like that and Faithless Salvaging are the only cards I'm missing for this deck, so it's like mm. kind of have to. But anyways, yeah, Aspiring Spike has been working on uh, Jeskai Phoenix. Oh, and I guess we should say, if you are interested in the Esper Reanimator archetype we were just mentioning, um, shout out to Spider Space. Uh, he's been working on it, so if you follow him on Twitter, um, you should presumably get some updates for that. Um, I know Bob and Cheese, aka Nick Shrillo, has also been working on it, so another good follow for that archetype. But anyways, Just Guy Phoenix. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to be able to... <laughs> to play with the little birdies in modern again mm-hmm. i mean you know i was very big on just or on blue red phoenix when the deck came out who was um, i definitely you know was not one of the people creating it but i was one of the earlier adapters uh getting onto the list um but i'm really excited to have have my birds back yeah um, so spike has been working on this and he'd worked on phoenix a little bit before so it makes sense that he's like jumping right into it and uh he's been streaming a lot of it he says it's his favorite deck in modern right now and it looks really good <laughs> it looks like very good i don't know have you gotten the chance to watch any of it i haven't and it just it's one of those decks that i imagine would pop up and it just has not come across my feed yet um it looks pretty solid though i mean you have a really good glut of one mana spells here like we already mentioned prismatic ending and consider, but you also have Lightning Bolt, you have Th- Theorem Visions and Thought Scour, so um, some pretty good ways to get some cards in the yard. Um, you're also playing Gutshot in this deck, too, which I think is an interesting one-mana spell. Yeah, so so there's multiple things about that, right? One, so we'll touch on the Gutshot first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like actually just a reasonable card in this format right now. There's a lot of one toughness things um, between like Bragavan or like uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler before it gets um, before Delirium. it gets Delirium. Yeah. So uh, being able to kill them, and sometimes you can even tag a construct before it gets out of hand. Sure. So being able to do stuff like that is really nice. In addition to obviously being a free spell, makes it a little bit easier to trigger your Arclight Phoenix and make your Demi Lich cost less. And so, like, part of the reason the stack is so good, too, is uh, Faithless Salvaging also functions as a free spell. Obviously, faith, Faithless Salvaging not as good as um, Faithless Looting Faithless looting was. Yeah. But when you get to cast it on two and actually have it just rebound on three, mm-hmm. um, then you have your free spell already kicking things out. And then you can play, like, a Faithful Mending into a Consider. And so that's a lot of ways to put things into your graveyard. You've got like 12 ways. And then obviously you're just discarding your Demi Liches and your Arclight Phoenixes because they're coming back from the graveyard anyways. So you're turning your 12 discard spells into kind of card advantage, but also they're like free, so you don't really run out of spells. It's The deck is really powerful. And like the fifth of salvaging, I'm gonna, this card is going to kill me. Um, it's very similar to what we were saying before with Faithful Mending, here we go, where the advantage comes from you getting it the second time, right? But I guess the fact you don't actually have to cast it the second time is so huge, like, not that it's 
I guess, the worst thing in the world, but, like, Faithful Mending costs three mana to flash back, and in a deck where you're trying to get three spells to trigger a Phoenix, that is kind of problematic, I could imagine. Um, especially, like, trying to do that on, you know, turn three or turn four. Um, but, like, the Faithless Salvaging, that's a huge boon, being able to just get a, you know, quote-unquote free card, or free spell, rather, on, on turn three if you're trying to get your Phoenixes going. That's really nice. Another thing that I love about this list, not that I think it's something that comes up much, but playing Manamorphose with Prismatic Ending is really sweet. Because mm. in theory, you can Prismatic Ending for five, even though you only play the, the three colors of mana. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't come up terribly often. But I mean, like, I, I could imagine you trying to um, exile a Solitude or something like that. I mean, and even I think... I guess depending on your mana, I could imagine a situation where you are playing off of, you know, two lands, uh, you know, two steam vents, you draw an island, and then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to metamorphose, create white mana, and still exile that uh, endurance or something like that. Like, uh, having more ways and more ways and more access to more colors, I think, is always a good thing. It's really messed up that uh, when I said prismatic ending for five, your mind actually went to a good card. My mind went to Gideon Jura. <laughs> I have I have not been worried about a Gideon Jura in a very very long time. Thank God. Um, I'm not I'm not saying that it's uh, what you're necessarily trying to hit. I was just mm-hmm. you know I was trying to come up with a modern playable five drop, and it was the first one. Yeah. No, I mean I, I still it does give you access. I mean. Uh, once again, getting Jura is not my main thought, but it does act, give you access to be able to get things that, rid of things like Leyland of the Void, which I think is, is important, um, especially post-board. Uh, like I mentioned before, getting Endurance, not that you're already playing the three colors, so you have access to that uh, in your main deck. But, you know, there are a lot of those problematic permanents that are over that threshold that we're usually accustomed to in, in Modern, right? I think the big spot for a lot of interaction in the graveyard right now is a lot of one mana stuff like i think we're still because this is a lorith metagame i think in the end of the day right now um being able to deal with the lantern for example i think is important um something like graft digger's cage i think is comes up a lot rest in peace has been picking up steam uh but something like leyline of the void i think is is a ko in a lot of a lot of situations um especially versus lorith decks and i i think if that's a popular spell, right? Having access to Prismatic Ending and the fourth color of mana in a deck like this is something that puts you a little bit ahead of something like a Lurus deck when it's, uh, when it's coming down on turn zero. I do love that Prismatic Ending just deals with, like, all of the graveyard hate. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's really nice that it's versatile enough mm-hmm. to actually hit, like, everything. Yeah, and I, it, the one thing I think it's really nice with, I was trying to say, it's just, once again, just that flexibility. Like, it, it still does give you some interaction for that, you know, turn one Ragavan or something like that. Um, and also deal with the Dragon Rage Channeler without having to worry about the Delirium, right? And, like, that's one of the issues um, I, I've, I've had with Gutshot. We were talking about this in Legacy uh, a couple weeks ago, but, you know, Gutshot is very good versus Ragavan always, usually pretty good versus. DRC, sometimes good versus Delver, depending on the, on the time, but like, Prismatic Ending, especially when you don't have to worry about something like, uh, I don't know, Days. 
Um, it's, it's a really nice way to clean that up, and just the fact it's so versatile, uh, really, really nice. Plus, it's not like you're you're stressing about the white mana, right? Like prismatic ending and the faithless mending, um, and you're only get you're getting the white mana off of your fetches, right? Because you have the four uh, flooded strands, the four scalding tarns, and those eight lands both fetch your hallowed fountain and your sacred foundry. So, I, I imagine the mana is not terrible if you if you choose to go fetch one of those uh, white mana producing lands. It's going to sound dumb. Another thing I like about this list, the more I look at it, is um, so I've been playing the blue-red Murktide list at mm -hmm. Modern for the past two weeks. And I don't know. I don't think I'm good at that deck. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if it's actually that I'm bad at it mm -hmm. um, or if it's just been like my matchups have been not good or variants getting my way mm -hmm. or not going my way, rather. I don't know. Um, my games often feel close, but I find I'm losing a lot of them. So hopefully <laughs> this will give me the, the chance to play with blue-red cards and actually win. Mm -hmm. And that's not me saying the blue-red Merktide deck is bad, No, to be clear. Yeah. Just saying that I'm not winning with it. Sure. It's very different than calling it bad. That is if anything, it's calling me bad. Yes. Which I'm not going to argue with you about. That's fine. Um, <laughs> no, I, do, I do feel this is more just like a personal thing, right? This is more a type of deck that I'm used to playing, right? You've, you've played a lot of these types of decks. Um, there's a lot of play to it. Um, it's one of those things where you get a, a huge advantage to knowing, uh, you know, when you can go off and when you can't, uh, what you're capable of, when you need to, you know, be a little lucky, things like that. Um, the Blue-Red Murktide deck in a lot of ways reminds me of just like Delver, and obviously you are capable of playing Delver, but... Uh, just not a deck I currently accustom you um, or tribute to you right now, at least. Yeah, at um, <laughs> at modern somebody was like, "Yeah, well, I don't think that's your style of deck." Is like, I've, I've played a lot of tempo decks. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It's been a minute. It's okay. I got um, what is the name of that card? Obsidian Charma, I think, or something. It's like a five mana card from MH two. It's like three red red and it costs less for like oh e yeah like colorless land your opponent's control and like epbs and yeah i got hit by that card on like turn like i was on the draw and my opponent played that uh like turn three turn four pillage turn five against <sighs> me uh round one i was just like so it's like i lost but like you know i don't, I don't know how much that's that is my fault no um, also, if you're sitting across the table from that card, you cannot see those wings. I blatantly attacked into it, not knowing that it had flying, uh, no. and then got blown out. Yeah, <laughs> like, funny. I jumped through hoops to make my Dragon's Braid Channeler capable of flying, only to have it done. Flying right into the sun. Or flames. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is flying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, crazy! Yeah, it crazy. it is. Yeah, I guess that's fair. And once again, that's one of those cards that like that's not why I'm playing it. I'm playing it because of the non basic the the ability to destroy non basic lands. The flying is just like extra, so that that tracks. Yeah, my opponent was super nice though. 
Do they yeah. let you take the attack back? No. No, of course not. But <laughs> I also didn't ask. I mean, like, I made it by mistake. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, okay. Uh, let's talk about a deck. I know you've been playing. Actually, I I played a variation of this deck many many moons ago. But this deck has seen a lot of really big changes uh, since my time. So, what what deck am I talking about here? Fun fact: I also played this years ago. Did you really? Yeah, I mean, not like the good list, oh, okay. but I played it. <laughs> um, we're talking about eggs. That's right, it's back. Maybe. We're not sure yet. Um, so Eric Virgo, uh, ninth on Breakthroughs on Twitter, uh, recently tweeted out a shell of like 53 cards. It was like, um, hey... I just bought Star City out of these cards. Uh, the shuttle is a couple cards off, but there's something here. Um, and so it was eggs. And he's been working on it some. Casey Lancaster uh, has been working on it some. And I'm, I've played it. I'm not going to say I was working on it. I've not contributed anything. Um, but I did have a good time. Um, so the only like new card that I was really playing in this deck was Consider. And that's not actually even in the shell that he posted. Uh, it is in some of the, the more formal lists that he posted, but I just wanted to talk about the shell because it's really cool. Um, and it's like dirt cheap. So if it actually is good, then this is like a great starter deck for Modern. Or also, if you're listening to us because you love Legacy and you're kind of meh towards Modern, uh, but you're just stuck because you want our amazing legacy content you can buy this card and torture all your modern players mm -hmm. like all your local modern players yeah so you, you do have a, a lot of well the chromatic sphere chromatic star conjurer's bobble mind stones and essentially when you're talking about the actual like eggs part right it's a uh, card that you can you uh, use to filter and get mana um, but also draw you cards uh, which in a deck like this doesn't really seem like it has a major effect uh, but when you're talking about the, you know, the quote-unquote big payoff in this deck, you have copies of Open the Vault and Faith Reward, which really rewards you for going through your deck multiple times. Um, the Faith Reward, uh, if you haven't seen that card, is a four-mana instant that returns to the battlefield all permanent cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn. Uh, open the Vault is a little more broad, a little more expensive too, um, but four and double white uh, returns all enchantments and all um, artifacts uh, from your graveyard from from the graveyards to the battlefield um so it actually does work for your opponent too but um we're not really worried about that because you're just going to murder your opponent uh, <laughs> the big payoff and i think when this deck was big the first time uh stanislav thifka uh was referring to uh reshape as tinker for black lotus right um, you essentially just sacrifice an artifact, and typically in a deck like this, you're just tutoring up Lotus Bloom. Um, Lotus Bloom obviously just got reprinted, which is actually really nice, once again, for the people who are interested in buying into this deck. It's one of the cheapest <laughs> uh, times for it. But it is a very easy way to go on uh, turn three, go from two mana to six mana on turn three and allow you to open the vault or something like that uh when you start looking at some of the cards that are in the deck 
in addition to that, and this is part of the reason why I really like this deck, personally I liked the deck a lot, uh, was the face reward, uh, while Open the Vault is just enchantments and artifacts, the face reward um, just gets all permanents back. With the face reward, there's a lot of really cool tricks you can play uh, with your opponent, uh, I guess with the battlefield really, uh, by having face reward in the deck. Um, the kind of big one that I think people are going to see is the Urza Saga. And I think Urza Saga in this deck is, is really, really nice. Just a lot of really neat things for you. Yeah, being able to make constructs and just go on the grind back plan is, like, absurd. And then also being able to have it uh, hit Chapter 3 and um, grab... Uh, why am I blanking the name of that stupid card? Um, Zoranorb. Yeah is insane zoran orb is so good in the stack because, yeah absolutely yeah so like what happens is you bring it into play um you sack all your mana or all your lands and then you face reward like all your lands come back so you just get to kind of keep ramping up that way um, it's also nice that even if you're not sacking all your lands like zoran orb sometimes your urza saga will just come back off the face reward it's huge and that actually makes the deck really difficult to interact with like we, we did talk about before uh prismatic ending being a really good answer in this format especially because it exiles but uh, when you're dealing with this deck at instant speed a lot of the interaction you have is sorcery is going to be destroying that exile effects uh, so even if they do manage to deal with something like your pirate spell bomb right that it's very likely just going to be in your graveyard for you to be able to pick back up with an open the vault or a faith reward uh, which is which is super huge. The I'm not sure if you if you're as big of a fan of this as I am, but when you're getting rid of all your lands uh, with your Zoran Orb, uh, the one that always sticks around for me in play, at least for the first uh, couple iterations of this of this deck, is the Ghost Quarter. Has that card gotten to impress you yet? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> I'll be honest, and that might be just me not even thinking about it. Uh, obviously, I. I'm aware of what it does. Uh, I also don't think that there are enough basics in the list I was playing to really warrant the Ghost Quarter loop. Um, because that, So I was playing with Fetches, Basics, Hallowed Fountains, Urza Sagas, and Ghost Quarters. Okay. And because of that, like I only had like four basics and I would fetch for them pretty liberally because like you're not, you're not really putting things onto the board early. So like one of the easiest ways for you to lose is super fast aggression. So I wasn't really trying to pay to life for no reason. Sure. So the ghost quarters were kind of diminished. Hmm. Okay. The I mean the ghost quarters when you get into like the longer uh, I don't know the iterations with the longer loops, um, the ghost quarters do allow you to pull out more lands um, as you go through each iteration, which I think is, is the big plus, right? Like you can go from. Um, Double Island, Plains, Ghost Quarter, and then as you're going through the loops with the Faith Reward, you can Ghost Quarter your tapped island and then bring them back with Faith Reward, and now you ha have two islands, the Plains, the Ghost Quarter back. In addition, you have another uh, Plains that you uh, pulled from the library, and by going through the loop multiple times, you get more and more lands, and that's that's a huge benefit. Yeah, I mean, there. yeah, just explaining it for the for the uh, the audience. Okay, um, I was gonna be like, I get how it works. It I know, just yeah. didn't really yeah. come up. Like uh, the, the fetches kind of do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, not quite as much, but like I don't know. And just 
I don't know if the ghost quarters are still good in this list. They might be. I don't know. Well, the, the other thing they do, too, is as you're going through the loop, if depending on what your opponent's playing, I mean, regardless of what your opponent's playing, you can actually just ghost quarter them out of the game, too, um, which I think is one of those things that's kind of underrated. Like, you can, especially with this build, you can just get to a situation where they have no lands, you have a Luris, go. And <laughs> a lot of times, that is going to be enough, um, just continuing that loop of, um, you know, a grave or library full of faith rewards and um, open the vaults, Luris and Ghost Quarter. You can just win the game from there. Yeah, I mean, I would rather just kill them when I start going off. Sure, naturally. Well, but there, there are some times like once again, this isn't one of those decks that um, a well-timed surgical here or there uh, might throw a, a wrench in how you're planning on win winning the game. Uh, we were talking about this before. Like the the typical way you're winning with this deck is the Pirate Spell Bomb loop. You can also kill them with Urza Saga, potentially, something like that. But you, there is a situation where you don't actually have a way to kill them. And I, I, I feel like adding an extra element into the deck that would allow you to actually just kill your opponent would be really beneficial. But I guess it kind of depends on what you would want to do with that slot. I um, I will say I was like kind of considering playing a Thassa's Oracle just to speed things up just because like looping the kill takes forever so yeah uh we haven't actually explained the loop yet have we we've not no okay um do you want to explain it uh i can um so just going through this real quick so you have all these artifacts in play that's great um you put them into your graveyard that's fine um the big one is the conjurer's bobble and this is we talk uh, in some decks. You talk about like deterministic kills and non-deterministic non-deterministic kills. Um, essentially, what you end up doing with this deck is you draw through your uh, cards to the point where you, because of the chromatic spheres and the chromatic stars, you end up just drawing a large number of cards that go into your hand. Um, between the lands, um, between the lands that you have here. And the Mind Stones, you're generating mana in the Lotus Blooms, of course. You're generating a large amount of mana that's casting the Open the Vault and the Faith Rewards. But you're usually generating enough mana um, overall um, that when you start looking at the Conjurer's Bobbles, it allows you to actually draw additional cards by putting those uh, Open the Vaults and Faith Rewards back on the bottom of your deck. So as you're going through the iteration and moving the Spell Bomb from the battlefield to the graveyard, um, dealing your opponent two each time, uh, you're putting copies of Faith Reward and open the vaults back on the bottom so that you can essentially just continue moving on as you uh, crack your baubles and uh, your spheres, your stars, and your conjurer's baubles. Um, you can also crack the Mind Stones too, but you don't necessarily need to. I mean, you, you definitely can, but... Well, you, you would die if you just <laughs> are doing the Mind Stones. Yeah. You would draw out. Yeah, so the Mind Stones are not, are not really the one you want to be doing. Um, you, you definitely can do them early, like if you are early in the loop, um, just to try to get more steam to get going. But you once you are full tilt comboing, you don't need to crack Mind Stones anymore. They just kind of sit and play. Yeah. So basically, the end game, though, is Conjurer's Bobble plus Fate's Reward. Put face reward at the bottom, draw the card off bobble, it's the face reward, ta-da, do it all over again. Yeah. Uh, um, 
MTGO, I feel like it has to be frustrating. I've only played the deck in paper, so I, I've not had the joy of trying to combo the, this deck off an MTGO. It's time-consuming. Um, people were... I think most people were nice and conceited to me uh, mm -hmm. at some point. Like, a lot of them would wait until they saw the whole deck, but I didn't necessarily have to go through it. I think I, one person made me actually just actually go through it, which was annoying because it took me like 13 minutes, but I killed them really fast in game two. Um, so I mentioned the Thassa's Oracle. Other things you can do to speed up are Grape Shot. Mm -hmm. um, in theory, you could even play Red in the deck so that you could like uh, play copies of Wish, and then you could Wish for Thassa's Oracle, Grape Shot, etc. Mm -hmm. And that kind of helps protect you against Surgical a little bit too. Um, but also, uh, I was playing Mentor on the sideboard, so just bringing that in, that, that'll speed up the clock quite a bit, especially Absolutely. if your opponent sideboards out removal. Mm -hmm. um, like, I was playing against a control deck, and I just, like, slammed um, I slammed it on three, like, got bounced to my hand, I slammed it on four, and just played, like, uh, played a handful of things, past turn, they passed back, and I was just like, so you're dead? <laughs> like, I'm just going to loop a time or two, and you're dead. The, the wish is actually really neat, too, because with the Conjurer's Bubble, you can actually just wish multiple times. So it's not like the one wish is the thing that gets you, right? You can wish for, I don't know, the Grape Shot, and then kill your opponent like that. But if they have the Flusterstorm, you can go and wish again for um, the one card. So when I played this deck, this was a long time ago, obviously. Um, but I played one copy of uh, Gravestorm. A bitter ordeal, rather. A bitter ordeal, uh, which has Grave Storm. Um, if you have not seen Bitter Ordeal, because I don't think anyone in their right mind played it, Bitter Ordeal, search target opponents, uh, target player's library for a card and exile it, then that player shuffles their library as Grave Storm. So when you, you may cast this spell, no, when you cast this spell, copy for each permanent put into a graveyard this turn, you may choose two targets for the copies. Um, so I played one of those in my in my sideboard and then boarded them in when um, they can make infinite um, life. <laughs> this, or you. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I just associate it with uh, Shroom Combo and EDH, which yeah. I think is like very outdated at this point. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> but the the deck, when I was playing it, the, uh, not Proctor Combo, um... The, the mono white life gain martyr Stuff with breakfast? No, like martyr fans and uh, I forget what the deck's actually called, but there was like a mono white deck that gained up a bunch of life um, in the format. So that was one of those things that I was like, I just need a way that kills them without having to worry about it. And I was like, I could just take every card in their deck and it worked. So it's good enough. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely interested in. Um getting more games in with eggs. Uh, it was really fun. I will definitely change the list up slightly to make it more moto-friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there's a lot of room to experiment. And I bought <laughs> I bought the cards and paper, and I paid for expedited shipping so they could be here for Monday. Nice. That's uh, when I play Paper Modern. And I'm excited. I'm excited. I told um, I told one of the, the store employees uh, what I was playing, and he was just like, if we go to time because of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So could you play just to 
just to appease me, could you play Wish and then Wish for Mentor and then start comboing off again and then pl- go Wish for first day of school? Ooh, you could. You could. Um, so I didn't buy the Wishes. I okay. only bought the cards for the version I played. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do that. Okay, that's fair. But you could. You could. I mean, yeah, you could. I mean, you could even wish for... I mean, that seems more complicated than just killing them with Pirate's Bellbomb. The other thing that's really nice about Pirate's Bellbomb is you're kind of incentivized to play it anyways because of Urza Saga. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, I, and once, like my big thing is that they're having... With this deck, um, there are definitely some cards that um, end up being kind of problematic. Like, just looking at the main deck alone... It is very hard to deal with a, like something like a rest in peace, right? You do have the backup plan of going to get Earth of Saga, uh, but rest in peace in general is is very annoying, um, and obviously just Leyline of, of the Voids and you know, all the graveyard effects. Um, but even like Leyline of Sanctity is actually a pretty annoying effect for a deck like this. Um, so having another way that kind of gets around that while you're trying to combo off, I think is is beneficial. Um, because, you know, without targeting your opponent, you can do a decent amount of stuff, um, generate a lot of mana, uh, but being able to wish for something like, this this sounds kind of silly, I guess, but being able to wish for something like uh, Emrakul the Aeon's Torn could could be beneficial, or be even going to get, like, Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger and exile, you know, the Troublesome Permanence uh, could be good in those kind of combo turns. Probably should play one of Emrakul in the mm-hmm. sideboard to beat Mill, yeah. especially since you can actually just, like, if you draw it, just cast it and win the game. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I played against, I played against Mill. I thought they were gonna crush me, and then I cast open the vaults, and they died. That's awesome. Oh yeah, that feels <laughs> good. That's the good stuff. Uh, yeah. So it, this is one of those decks too, and I, I think the banning of that second sunrise did such a number in the deck that people were just like, yeah, we're off this, and just never came back to it. But it's, I'm glad to see it's seeing a little bit more, a little more love. Like I think that Earth of Saga is obviously a huge addition to it, uh, but it's probably one of those decks, and we've we've talked about this before. One of those decks that probably shouldn't have been pushed so far to the edge of the format. Like I think this deck, I still think like the reshape into Lotus Bloom synergy is, is really really powerful. Yeah, especially when you're sacking like a Chromatic Star, so you still draw a card. Yeah value yeah definitely um, not the worst thing and like even some of the cards like you know conjurer's bobble like doesn't really do anything on turn one <laughs> you know what i mean like i i don't really need it on turn one i don't really need it on turn two i can get it back with open the vault later so just do that later that seems sweet okay so we've been talking about modern for a while mm-hmm. um and i also have a lot of things i want to talk about in legacy so I'm going to do a real quick one first, and then a slightly longer one. Uh, so for the real quick hit for the new cards, uh, Renin 7, what, what, showing up in uh, Nick Winsauce, uh, 4-0 to prelim, playing like Bant, Zenith, Control. Um, and I don't really want to get into their list too bad, too much, but I just think it's cool that he was playing a, a Renin 7. That card's awesome. But for... <laughs> Uh, the other card that I've seen show up in Legacy, um, 
It's a fairy who slows the sunset in stasis. Ooh, that's spicy. Yeah, so uh, Marcus Ewald, uh, the madman that he is, brewed up a list. Um, and it's it's an ask for a told deck. So basically, uh, so for people who don't know what Teferi's Plus does, um, so Teferi is a four mana planeswalker, but its plus is the notable part here. Uh, and you choose up to one target artifact, one target creature, and one target land. Um, if you pick your own permanents, you get to untap them. If you pick opponents' permanents, you tap them and you gain two life. Uh, and this works really well in a stasis deck because, uh, I mean, I think most legacy players know, but stasis is a one and a blue enchantment. And at the beginning of your upkeep, uh, you have to pay blue or sacrifice it. And it just says players skip their untap steps. Um, so stasis is this really powerful effect, but it's symmetrical. So you need to figure out a way to break that symmetry. And Teferi is like insane at this because um, you're playing Chromoxes. So Teferi lets you untap your Chromox and or a land so that you can keep paying for uh, stasis every turn. But also if your opponent plays a land, you can tap it down and keep it permalocked under stasis. Mm -hmm. um, so the shell he's playing is really cool. Like I said, he's playing an As Foretold deck, so he's playing with uh, Restore Balance, Ancestral Vision, uh, the Chromox I mentioned, uh, your typical eight cantrips, Swords of Plowshares, the Teferis, some Chases, and Force of Wills. And that's the deck. Um, I played it through a link today. It was awesome. I lost to Rich Callie on his stream. It was abysmal. It was not even remotely close. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, like, I played against 12 posts, and it was just like, what do you do? Like, yeah. So that was very satisfying, just like putting stasis into play and being like, oh, can't untap all your glimmer posts. Like, mm -hmm. It's really nice that Cloud Post already comes into play tapped for you, too. That's very unfortunate. Yeah. And then the way you kill them is uh, you can play Kahira as your companion. Uh, and that's, that's your win condition, is you. Um, <laughs> Put it in your hand, put it into play, and attack for three. Or you can ultimate Jace, but you can't ultimate Jace against 12 posts. No. Yeah, and I guess Teferi does not do, uh, does not actually kill your opponent. I mean, it, it is the reason they die, but like Teferi, who slows the sun, that, that will not just win you the game by itself. Yeah. But the card is, the card is sweet. And it, it's interesting reading it, because like the plus ability is like obviously untapping your own stuff is really powerful. But when I was first reading it, I was like, oh, you tap their stuff, but like it just untaps. Like that's doesn't seem great. I like it's one of those things where it's like you assume there's a reason. Um, it, it probably would have been too good if their stuff didn't untap, but like stasis fixes that for you. Yeah. Uh, so this is definitely not perfect. Um, like an issue I ran into was like my opponent played. Um, why I can't think of it. Uh, Carpet of Flowers. Oh, ooh. okay. And I just kind of, kind of broke my whole plan open. Um, and I like didn't really have an answer for it. Um, actually, in retrospect, I had Prismatic ending in the sideboard, so that's on me because I didn't board it in. Hmm. Well, I was to say like I, that's a card I feel like would be really valuable in the main deck, but I guess because you're playing that Adfordol package in the deck, you. Are taking up a lot of slots that normally would have gone towards 
more interaction and things like that. Restored balances interaction. I got to like six for one um, <laughs> my opponent. I just got to make him discard like six cards and sack his creature. That's not bad. Yeah. Uh, he won the match though, so. <laughs> Who's laughing <laughs> now? Yeah, I mean, the as foretold, it, it plays very nicely with stasis, right? Because you don't even need to worry about your lands being tapped. You can just, you know, cast that four mana J, so you can cast that brainstorm and try to hit the land, um, you know, without having to tap your mana for stasis. So that that is really huge. Yeah. But this deck was sweet, and I'm definitely going to hit the leagues with it some more. Um, you know, I, I managed to cash my first league with it, so there's at least something there. Uh, and like, it felt like when you play against non-blue decks, it's like very, very powerful. Like playing against Delver, I, I just felt like completely outclassed. Mm. Um, but playing against like playing against lands, I demolished lands. They put two sphere of uh, sphere of resistance into play, uh, and it just like didn't matter no. because like. <laughs> It, I mean, you do have to pay to, like, I had to pay to even for my as foretold stuff. Yeah. But, like, to fairy generate so much mana for you, especially if you, like, untap, like, Ancient Tomb and Chrome Box. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gross. Yeah. Yeah, this seems like a really interesting deck. And, like, it, it is cool to, once again, I always like when new cards bring back really you know, older cards. And it's really cool that, like, Teferi, and, like, and I agree with you, actually. Teferi, looking at the plus, I was like, I just don't understand what, like, when I would want this. Like, am I attacking with my creatures? Like, this is actually really good. I think, you know, your opponent is going to have interaction during your attack step. Um, they have a blocker, so you get to tap their creature, tap one of their lands, limit their interaction. Maybe you untap an artifact you have. Like, in limited, this card's insane, right? Being able to, like, untap a icy manipulator, the double block their creatures or uh being able to you know there's a lot of cool stuff there but that's probably not the use of this card in constructed formats so it, it's really cool that this deck actually utilizes you know maximizes i guess all part of the buffalo um combining it with a card that i think you know if you're one of those 93 94 players people love stasis uh, so <laughs> seeing these two cards come together is really really a delight yeah I, I'm I'm a big Stasis fan. Um, for like the two weeks that Tiny Leaders was a format, I had a Stasis deck. Uh, who who is the general for your Tiny Leaders deck? You should know this. I have no idea. Like I would I would say like Lavinia maybe. Uh, I mean that would probably have been a better choice. So has to be three CMC or less. With and Angus? it was in band. With Angus? Huh? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, that's actually a pretty good stasis general, yeah. That makes sense. Okay. <sighs> okay. We good talked times. about all these cool decks. Uh, do you want to get back into the, the really cool tournament? We can talk about that. Uh, yeah. Okay. One could argue there were two really cool tournaments this weekend. Well, three. So there were the showcase challenges, um, but obviously you are referring to the Legacy Pit Open. Yeah, and I, I'm glad it worked out. Like I, once again, I, 
I don't know if we talked about this on the show or not, but like I had a ticket up until two weeks before the show, and I really wanted to go, but it was I already had the cruise booked. So if the cruise got canceled, I was going to go to the tournament. If the tournament got canceled, I wouldn't have to really worry about it one way or the other. Probably, probably if the cruise got canceled, I probably shouldn't be going to a Magic tournament, but that's a whole other set of issues. But um, I'm glad it went. It seemed like you guys had fun. At the event itself, at least, I heard the hotel was kind of a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> the hotel was not great. Um, they have already announced that they will not be using this venue again for future. Okay. Um, they are planning to run this back, and the reception was so so good that they're actually planning to have these B two day events moving forward, which is kind of exciting. Also, because like after not being able to go to magic tournaments for so long, mm. it was really apparent that nine rounds is a lot of magic. Nine's a lot. In one day. Yeah. So if, especially because there were some bumps along the road. So like if it, uh, if it was any longer, it would just be like untenable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, like it, from what I saw, I haven't gotten to dig too much into the archives yet, but it seems like they post a lot of pictures. They have a lot of videos uh, they have a, a big archive of videos that you can go back and, you know, live the tournament experience if you really want to. Um, I saw a lot of really solid players on camera, too. So it's good that people showed up and, you know, people, you know, came and tried to win a win a belt. I think that's a sweet <laughs> magic experience we probably don't get enough of. Yeah, and I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. Everybody, um, so I, I do want to get into, like, like, actual like strategic content but can i just talk about like the feeling of the event for a bit sure yeah um so it's just like everybody was in a good mood like i played um so i played every round um all my opponents except for one were super friendly and it wasn't like that opponent was rude or anything they were just kind of quiet and focused um but you know they were still polite like they were nice they just weren't like necessarily trying to be my friend which is fine but all my other opponents were like super like just happy to be there like clearly having a blast it was great just like walking around and seeing familiar faces you haven't seen in forever uh, like obviously you know there's been a pandemic going on for two years so like most of these people i haven't seen and you know even even the people who aren't necessarily like your best friends like you get used to seeing them like every other month or whatever it is so like getting to see faces like getting to see like roland chang and like uh shout out to paul lynch who i haven't seen in forever um yeah he he actually had some nice words to share about the podcast too which was a good feeling because uh i think we both have a lot of respect for paul so Mm -hmm. it's nice to hear the people uh you know saying good things um and i actually had a fair number of people like tell me they like the podcast and um, I get, I had play mats <laughs> made uh, for you and I, Ooh. Um, which I still actually have to give you yours, but uh, Ian actually has it right now. <laughs> oh no! Okay, I'll get it from him eventually. But they they need to be redone. I I definitely made made some errors, so we're gonna have better ones eventually. But you know, they'll do for now. Cool. But like <laughs> having that advertisement, uh, and I got. Uh, I ordered like six boxes of like custom uh, Dark Depths podcast sleeves. I saw those um, on uh, Twitter. Those look really sweet. Yeah, and uh, the shirts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was uh, 
was decked out in, <laughs> in Dark Dubs podcast gear. And so I actually had a couple people like come up and comment that they liked the cast. I had a couple people like ask me about it and say they're going to check it out. So that was like really nice. Um, but it was just like the feel was everyone was super happy to be there. And it was awesome. The hotel itself sucked. But, <laughs> yeah. but like, yeah, just like, like I said, getting to see people. And like, I bumped into Romario, uh, Romario Nito a lot. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Like, I haven't seen him in forever. He crushed me in round nine. Ugh, okay. Yeah, it's fine. Like, I, I got paired and I was like, well, I'm going to lose. Um, <laughs> he's on Doomsday. Like, the yeah. matchup's atrocious. And, like, it's not even like he's bad. Like, he's on a terrible matchup and he's really good at the deck. So it's just like, yeah. like Up, Uphill battle. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, like, I uh, I mean, I cashed the event, so it's not like I can be mad. Yeah. The difference between winning and losing that match was like $50, I think, $25. Like, who cares? Okay. Yeah, minimal. Huh. But yeah, the, the event was a lot of fun, a lot of good players. Um, I've been going back and watching through the commentary, which has been really nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's been delightful. Yeah, and I think they they did a really good job of having commentators. Like, I think Mike Noble, for the for the vintage community, I think is, is obviously better known um, for playing than anything else. But, like, his announcing, I think, is, he's probably one of the best Magic announcers who's not, you know, on Star City or Channel Fireball streams every other weekend. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's one of those people that brings a lot of knowledge and experience and professionalism to a cast and I, he did a really good job and I think really anchored the show um, you know in the bits that I've seen so I was really happy to see him there okay so so we should talk about like what actually performed well yeah absolutely that's a good idea um, so the event was won by uh, Just Guy Midrange mm-hmm. um, congrats to Gary Wong um, also Shout out to uh, fellow podcast. Um, oh my goodness, am I going to blank? Oh man, I am going to blank on the name of it. Um, Elo Hunters, Anurag, Bob Huang, and Daniel Bochel on their podcast. Uh, they're recording this week with him. Oh, so cool. I'm sure he'll have some interesting thoughts about how the tournament went. So if you don't already listen to the, that podcast, I would probably check it out. Yeah, like the. Uh, I really like the the list that he was playing. I mean, it it is a, kind of a traditional blue red list that's playing some a little bit of white cards, right? It's playing some fairy time raveler, uh, prismatic ending, some sorts of plowshare. So it's kind of similar to what uh, we saw Steenerson uh, playing a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, and I actually haven't seen this exact configuration before. It's going even bigger than like what Steenerson was doing, which. Is kind of interesting like the narsets um seem really really strong right now yeah just having them in the main is like pretty good um and notably there's only one wasteland so like i think there's this big emphasis on i actually want to cast my own spells mm-hmm. and i really appreciate that like when you play expressive iteration and then like you hit wasteland ponder like third card like that's kind of awkward sometimes like actually having functional mana is really good. 
Yeah, especially in this deck where, you know, like you are playing, you know, the Narseth, you are playing uh, Jason Mind Sculptor, the one of, right? <laughs> there is definitely going to be a, I don't want to say a cost associated with, with it, right? But you don't you don't want to be in that deck that is, you know, playing two copies of Wasteland, and then you're sitting on, like, turn seven with, like, a Jason Hand just being like, man, this would be really cool if this was in play. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely a good decision. Um, they're also playing one copy of uh, Mystic Sanctuary, which is just, obviously, since it's left modern, I, I have not seen it a lot, but I, I'm always impressed by that card. Yeah, I was actually talking to... Um one of one of my locals down there who was also playing mystic sanctuary actually these i don't i don't know if these two worked on the deck list together or if they got it from the same place or what um so full disclosure i don't i don't know gary at all um, but when i was looking through my friends list it, it looks like it might have actually been this exact list i'm i'm not sure um i mean i guess i can search and find out um but and now I forgot what the oh right missing sanctuary. So when I was looking through his list, I like I saw it and I, I pointed out to him like that card is criminally underplayed in Legacy. Every time I see it, it's like super impressive. Usually it's paired with Terminus, which is like super backbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, not a thing here, but I, I still just think that card is so good. There's so many times where you know you play this game of Magic and you're like almost dead and you just like need to like you need to hit a cantrip like you need to hit cast and i think being able to guarantee that is really nice well especially in a deck like this too there's a, like you know your opponent top decks that uh, sylvan library right late in the game and you're like like okay well good luck dealing with this and you're just like i'm just gonna fetch and put prismatic ending back on top i mean <laughs> what are we doing here or being able to you know in that situation, right, they don't draw anything, they pass, and you're just like, I'm going to put Expressive Iteration back on top of my deck and see if that'll get me there. Like, that's that's huge. I, I just, that year, right, this is probably one of the more criminally underplayed cards in the format right now, um, especially after, I, I really think it was probably one of the best cards in Modern for a little bit, um, along with Uro, obviously, that was a whole whole machine there, but I, I just think that card did so much work. It's a, it's a shame it doesn't seem a little more play. So, in second place was Aloran, uh, which is really cool, but I actually want to skip over that and go to third place, Ian Bosley's list. Um, small side note, uh, this morning in my Facebook memories, turns out I played against Ian, uh, actually I think it came up yesterday, like exactly a year ago in an event, um, which was kind of just like a fun thing to pop up. Mm -hmm. Or not a year ago, multiple years ago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was assuming last year this time you were not probably playing too much yeah, magic yeah. and paper in person. Um, but anyways, it was I was playing Blue Rod Painter in that event. Good times, missed that deck. Back when I could play with Sensei's Defining Town. Simpler times. So like multiple years ago, but it, it was just interesting seeing that memory pop up. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, so he is on this blue-red tempo-y list. Um, I think this is the list that uh, Bullwinkle uh, like top-aided the showcase challenge with. Mm -hmm. um, it's very similar to Delver, but you drop the Delver of Secrets and you drop the Wastelands and you're playing with 
Urza Saga, or sorry, you go down to two wastelands and you're playing with Urza Saga and you're playing with your Retrofitter Foundry and your Soul Guide Lantern. Um, but it's just another one of these blue red tempo decks. And what really sticks out to me is how all of these blue red Jeskai tempo decks are all kind of just like converging, how there's like, it doesn't seem like. I don't know how to describe it. Like they're all so similar yet different. Like I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think we've, as far as the blue red decks are concerned, like you know, and blue red X, whatever. Uh, the Dragon Reach Channeler, the Murktide Regents, and the Ragavans is probably the ideal twelve creatures you're going to be playing in the deck. Um, I, I think obviously people are still playing Delver Secrets. Sometimes the two of, uh, we do see some cards like you know, Breathe and Borrow, Trina Nemesis come into a certain list. Uh, depending, but like those Murktide Regent, Ragavan, and Dragon Rage Chandler are going to be four of in your blue-red deck in 99% of decks, unless you have a very good reason not to be playing those cards. Um, the Urza Saga, and that's, a, that's my big thing too, is like the Urza Saga has been making it just into more and more list um that I've been seeing for the blue red list or blue red decks. Do you like the Urza Saga in these kind of decks? No, I, I hate it. I um Urza Saga is such a mana hungry card and these tempo decks I don't really feel have the mana to just toss at it. Um granted Urza Saga does work pretty well with Ragavan, but like Outside of that, I just don't think the cards go together at all. Mm -hmm. um, but Urza Saga is very powerful. So, like, there are matchups where just, like, playing Urza Saga, making two constructs, and then playing a second Urza Saga, making two constructs will just win you the match. Mm -hmm. But I, I really don't like it. But I do think it's interesting that it's happening. Um, it it kind of reminds me back when, like, um, Check Pile was the thing. Mm -hmm. And, like, Decks were slightly different, but really they were all playing like the same core cards. It really feels like we're getting to that point again. Uh, I hate talking about band discussions, but like it makes me wonder like when is something coming? Um, I don't know if you looked at the showcase challenge information, but like 56% of the decks people played were Ragavan decks. Yeah. Yeah, there was like 56 blue red X. And granted, like, Blue Red Tempo overall did not do well in that event. Um, it did have very high finishes also, but overall its win percentage was, like, kind of poop, mm -hmm. um, which, interestingly, nobody's talking about. Everybody just keeps talking about how prevalent it was. Um, but, like, in this event, uh, Blue Red was one of the most common decks, and it did well, yeah. right? Like, not, not, like, an obscene number, but it was... 50, uh, I think it was 54% off the top of my head. Uh, win, yeah. Uh, win rate without the mirror, 54%. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. So it just makes me wonder because, like, all these decks are really just starting to become kind of blobs of the same thing and with just like a dash of personal taste. And it, it feels like something's gotta change that that being said i also just don't i hate being that guy but i also 
still kind of feel like people aren't trying hard enough to beat these decks. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're very inbred and uh, they're very, I feel, attackable. Um, like I, I have been maintaining a very positive win rate against Blue Red Delver with Green White Daps. And I'm not saying like everyone should hop on that deck and I'm not saying it can't lose to Delver because I've definitely lost it over too. Sure. Um, I lost it over in this event, actually. Rodrigo, I know, targeted these decks in um in the showcase challenge by playing uh like the curses deck. Uh because mm-hmm. Leyline of the Void is so strong against these strategies. Like Leyline of the Void yeah. plus Chalice of the Void. Um especially if they're on the blue red list so they don't have the the prismatic endings to deal with it. Um, so it, I, I don't know. I'm just very interested in how the format is shaking up. Yeah, and I think eventually what we're going to end up seeing, and like you said, a kind of a personal taste, um, the format with these decks just gets slower. Like, we obviously Gary Wong won with, you know, one thing that, that those core 12 creatures, and then a slower Planeswalker package. Um, and the ability with Mystic Sanctuary to go longer in the games. Uh, Ian Bosley chose to use Earth of Saga, which is another avenue, um, and along with Richard Fitter Foundry, Foundry go a little bit longer in the game. Um, Alex Vu ended up getting sixth place here, um, has those 12, core 12 creatures, but then also has things like Brazen Borrower and True Name Nemesis that allow him to win a longer game, um, especially in the mirror when you're looking at things on the ground, right? True Name Nemesis uh, being a three one unkillable creature is gonna be problematic regardless of what happens to your graveyard uh brazen bar hopefully gives you a little bit more interaction um in the murktide uh region arms race right you can bounce their creatures back and still have a three one flyer um there's a lot of things that people are doing um and we're kind of moving away from the the lists like uh robert shaw who actually top eight this event also we're seeing less than less of those kind of decks where just I'm going to play 12 creatures, um, maybe I'll play a couple Delvers and Mishra's Baubles, and this will hopefully get me there. Like that, This is the deck that starts to fade away as the mirror becomes, I have bigger stuff, I have better stuff, I have stuff that allows me to go longer. Um, how does how good is your Unholy Heat versus my Trunor Nemesis? How good is your, um, you know, your Mishra's Bobble versus my um, Earth of Saga, stuff like that. that. That's the stuff we have to kind of be worrying about, as, as a Delver player at least. And just that effect it has on the, on the format, because obviously as the inbreeding happens with the blue-red decks, um, that does affect how other decks have to prepare for it, right? Like, you maybe don't have to prepare for the super hyper-aggressive blue-red deck. You have to adapt for the deck that has Planeswalkers as a backup plan or you have to deal with the one that has Brazen Borrowers in the main deck and you know obviously you playing um, Depths like there's a entirely different game plan you have when your opponent is going to cast Jason turn 4 or when they're going to be able to hold up uh, Petty Theft so that's a that's a whole different uh, ball game to for non-Delver players to have to prepare for yeah Something else that has come up in conversations I've been like a part of and around recently is in these blue red Delver mirrors, how good is Ragavan actually? And like, I know that sounds 
dumb because the card is very strong and when it connects you often feel unstoppable like turn one ragavan plus days is one of the best starts you could have but in all these mirrors where people are playing so much removal like how often does it actually connect it's such a fragile card mm-hmm. um, it gets blanked a lot and like some people are cutting dragon's rage channeler but are you supposed to cut ragavan instead like but then like that sounds ridiculous because it feels like half of legacy players are asking for the card to get banned. So, <laughs> well, like Ragavan's one of those cards. You know, depending on what my opponent's doing, like I, I'll just cut it anyways. Like uh, for elves, like Ragavan's unplayable because all their creatures uh, will kill it, right? Like including their fetch lands will kill a Ragavan. So, I don't think it's unreasonable. I think I would in the mirror what I've been doing at least. I'd have to say that um, I've been keeping Ragavan in on the play um as a four or four of three of depending um on the build that i have but when we start getting to me on the draw i start just cutting them um i really like that uh, ian bosley's list because you start to see some of the stuff that by cutting ragavan you can actually board in instead uh things like a braid i think are obviously very solid uh things like blue elemental blast is a really easy one mana way to deal with it um but between like that and a braid, you're fine. The big one I really like um, from Ian is the is it static caster. Like I think that's a huge a huge boon. Uh, not only does it you know very easily pick off Ragavans, uh, but it's also a zero three right. So you can actually just block and, and be okay there, um, which I think is is super huge. That's always been one of your favorite cards. I love that card. I think it's also criminally underplayed, but. Um, it, basically, whenever the format allows me to play as a static caster, I will play as a static caster. So, elf players, you've been warned. So, so you mentioned the O3 thing. Mm-hmm. Um, before the open started, I was talking to somebody, and he was on twelve post, and he said he didn't like Elvish Reclaimer, um, which really hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, yeah. But instead of playing Reclaimer, he's been playing Arboreal Grazer. Okay. And I, I played a game with his deck. Um, I played versus Delver. And, well, it wasn't Delver, but it was uh, the Grixis Tempo deck. Sure. But that Arboreal Grazer was, like, insane. Just uh, playing, like, my opponent played out of their Ragavan, and I played my Grazer, and I had a blocker, and two lands in play. <laughs> and he didn't have a bolt. Yeah. So he Grazen borrowed it back to my hand. Fine. And then I played it and put another land in. And then I untapped and played a Primeval Titan. It was good times were had by me. Yeah. That feels bad to Petty Theft a, a zero three Grazer and then for them to play Titan like that. Yeah, but I mean like what else are you gonna do? Like your Ragavan is not getting through this O three. No. So jeez. Yeah. So anyways, I'm uh, thinking about buying some cloud post and glimmer post. Okay. Reasonable. Probably. I mean, like, I thought about it before. I'm like, they're literally the only cards I'm missing. Oh, and like the one of I and like the one of Beldrazi's. Like, well, I think I have. We we can we can chat after the show, but I'm pretty sure I have uh, Glimmer Post, Cloud Post, and I definitely have an Eye of Ugin. If you don't mind the Judge one. No, I don't mind. I mean, I would only play the deck at F and M probably. Yeah, for sure. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I I do think the. The, the format is going to continue pushing around this this kind of tension, um, 
with these these creatures in blue red until something happens. And once again, it doesn't have to be Ragavan gets banned. Like I, I think that's what people are pushing towards, or you know, banning days or whatever this nonsense. But uh, I think eventually the format is going to get another another creature or another spell or something like that, and that'll be enough. I don't think it necessarily has to be uh, something cataclysmic. Uh, for blue red to be knocked off its pedestal. Check out the. Did you get a chance to check out? Um, I think they listed it as um, dead guy ale. It came in top sixteen, I think, fourteenth uh, place maybe. Dan Salazzo? Dan Clan. Oh, Dan's got some stuff going on here. Yeah, that deck's sick. <laughs> okay, so not what I thought it would be. There are black and white spells here but it it's also playing blue cards so you, you still have the core i'm gonna say core i think dead guy has changed so much over the past 10 years to say it's the core anything is disingenuous um uh, but you do have like, i just like, honestly wouldn't even consider this dead guy no i wouldn't <laughs> either. Just, my brain was like maybe it's like team america but that's not actually accurate either uh, so you're playing dark confidant you're playing thalia guardian of thraben you're playing baleful strix uh i like archon of Amiria as a or the card i've been been fond of um esper sentinel mother of runes main deck plague engineer and hull breacher that's interesting i like that um source of plowshare and prismatic ending are really good interaction spells in the main deck in this format uh aether vial obviously as a as an all-star especially when you're looking at the creatures being a lot, lots of ones and twos and a couple of threes up top. Up top, um, you are playing Urza Saga, which allows you to get Retrofitter Foundry, Rose for Progenitus, and Shadow Spear. Ooh, Shadow Spear, spicy. And Aether Vial. And Aether Vial. Yeah, I guess yeah, you can just go find your Aether Vial. That's really sweet. And Aether Vial and Urza Saga um, are really good together. Wow, this feels really redundant because we we actually talked about this uh, on the on the Lost episode, um, <laughs> but. Aether Vial and Urza Saga are really good together because you don't actually have to spend your mana casting your spells. You still get to just like file in to progress your board state, but then you also get to make the construct on top. Oh, that's really nice. Okay, yeah, I like this. Uh, it kind of reminds me of. I mean, I guess I, this sounds really dumb, obviously. It's playing Vial and it's playing Esper, so it reminds me of Esper Vial. Uh, <laughs> but just the, the actual interaction you're getting from the creatures. Um, between, you know, Thalia, Baleful Strix. I think Baleful Strix is really nice in this format. Uh, we've obviously seen Icefang Quaddle, you know, still make appearances in the Bant decks from time to time. I think that's starting to wane a little bit as that deck evolves a little bit. But I think Baleful Strix, there probably should be a Baleful Strix deck in the format that is defined by a giant 8-8 flying dragon. Um, that does not have <laughs> any evasion besides flying, right? Like, I think Baleful Strix has to be pretty good in this format, so it's good to see that here. Yeah. Sex cool, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was, I mean, there was a fair number of cool things. Um, I don't remember what place it finished. I think it went in, like, 5-4. There was somebody playing, like, uh, Bant Lands, but... Um, that's not, like, a good description of what it was. Like, they were playing with, like, Triad of the Elysian Grove and, like, multiple Valakuts and Brainstorms and Loans and Explorations. And I was like, this is sick. Um, 
I saw somebody on like Golgari Depths with Exploration, Life from the Loam, uh, Box Diamond, but they also had Simeon Spirit Guides. There is um there's some cool stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, just like kind of quickly digging through. Um, like Bob Wong's playing like a mono blue artifact deck with you know Emery Thigh and Thought Monitor. I'm all on board for that. Um, it looks like. I can I just I literally just saw it and I scrolled up and lost it. Um, there's a couple of Doomsday lists doing well here. Um, it's like Tony Del Prete um, was playing that mono red uh, storm list that plays well mon- mono red storm list that's playing like Aeon of Echoes, uh, playing like Bergy and all that fun stuff. Playing the One Wish there too. Like there's definitely some yeah. pretty sweet stuff here. That's uh, Tony Scapone. Um on Moto and on Twitch, he, uh, I mean, he's the one who created that deck. Oh, cool. Which is cool. Um, there was a good number of lands players. Um, actually played against Dave Long, uh, which was fun. I've, we've never actually played. Um, so that was, that was nice. I also just like playing like Marilyn Age Mirrors. Also, this, uh, I don't know if you're, Tony Murata, is that, does that name sound familiar, playing 12 Post? Is that a, is that a name? Oh, my God. Like... He beat a Doomsday player. What? Like, what? No. <laughs> I thought it real. Yeah. Yeah, he won the match against Doomsday. It was like, how? Oh, my gosh. Hopefully that's on camera. That'd be that'd be a cool one to watch. Uh, no, it wasn't. He was just, uh, like, two tables down from me. Oh, uh, poor gay. <sighs> okay. That's fine. I'll survive. Yeah. So, okay. So, Tony is from Arizona. Um, the Arizona crew showed up 17 deep. That's nice. Well, I think Gary Wong is actually from um, Arizona too, right? Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. So that's so like, impressive. That's insane. Oh, speaking of things, I played against not one, but two foiled out goblins decks. Odd. <laughs> right? <laughs> all I'm going to say. Um, that's not, I mean, I guess, I guess so. I mean, like, that's, I always imagine certain decks being foiled out um and obviously we're, we're in the area where brian cook typically has a, a foil out storm deck or something like that right so i'm used to that i would see there's always a person with merfolk but i guess there have to be multiple multiple people who have foiled goblin decks that exist in the world yeah okay it was it was cool um it was just like what oh my god um so <laughs> i I watched one of them demolish our friend Christian. Um, it was like kind of a close game for a while, and you just see the Aether Vial ticking up. Sure enough, it hit six. In comes the Muxus. Uh, Muxus flips Kiki Jiki and Sling Gang Lieutenant and Goblin War Chief. Oh no. That is, <laughs> that is a very dead Christian, is what that is. Absolutely. Oh man. Yeah, and like, yeah, and there's definitely. And I'm going to post the the link to this in the show notes if you're interested in looking through these deck lists. Like, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that if you're interested, like, if you're looking for a build of Mono Red Goblins and, you know, Mike, Michael Smith in uh, 53rd place, uh, Demir Death Shadow in uh, 55th, actually playing a couple copies of Murktide Region and Grief, which I think is actually really cool. Um, Reanimator I see here. I know you're in 64th place with uh, Green White Depths. Um, Forza Phil uh, playing Jeskai Miracles and 61st is in here too like there's a lot of interesting decks and I think 
you know, this being the first, well, one of the first, there's obviously multiple events, but one of the first big legacy events we've seen in God knows how long. Uh, I think it's very valuable if you're looking for an updated list to, to scroll through here. I, I've always seen people play, um, there's the crowd that we associate so much with, Ma you know, magic right now, modern and legacy, because we've been in on in an online environment for so long. Uh, but there are a lot of people who refuse to play uh, magic if it's not in paper, and th there are some of those people did show up here and hopefully did well. So uh, I think it's good to look through here. Um, I do want to take a look just through the data real quick, uh, see if this. If you agree with this, if you think this is believable or not, uh, would you believe me if I said that Blue Red Delver was the most popular <laughs> deck of this tournament? I would, although I didn't really run into it. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I talked to multiple people who were just like, we didn't play against any blue decks. Um, but, but I know they were there and okay. was expecting it to be the most popular deck. Uh, would you believe me if I said that uh, Doomsday had the highest win percentage? Uh no, that, I mean, yes, I would believe that. Um, I think uh, even though Blue Red Delver was the most popular deck, I don't think it was as prevalent as it is online. And that's, you know, Blue Red Delver is the biggest thing keeping Doomsday in track. Mm -hmm. I, I still also don't think people really know how to play against Doomsday appropriately. Um, they don't know. It's like not that hard. You just counter the Doomsday. You kill them <laughs> quick and counter the Doomsday. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I have not lost to it playing a tempo deck, and I basically don't need it playing anything else. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm at, but it just doesn't come up. And once again, like I, we've talked about this before. I'm I'm a big I, I want to get the reps in to understand what I need to be doing kind of person. I think a lot of people are like that too. Um, and I think especially the good Doomsday players uh, do a really good job of if they can get you off guard in one game they hopefully can navigate around a, a game two or a game three and be able to, you know, I don't want to say steal a game, but even if you are prepared with that, you know, double force of will, you know, hand, right, they can still get the W um, in one of those two sideboard games. So, I think it's a super solid deck. How about... Just looking at this, what, where are you? Oh. Would you be shocked if I said that uh, Death and Taxes was the second most popular deck? Not at all. Yeah. Deck is cheap um, and well positioned right now. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful combination. Yeah. Like, I mean, I honestly think the metagame overall looks basically like what I would have expected. Like, it, it wasn't that far off from Moto numbers. Mm -hmm. It's just like, like it was roughly the same order of popularity. I feel like, but not necessarily as extreme with the numbers right yeah. like we were Delver is still the most popular deck it's just not by as much and same thing going down the list yeah so in terms of popularity um there's a the most popular deck by by a long shot is the blue red delver decks and once again they come in different forms uh, so saying blue red delver is going to include those lists that are playing true true nemesis and playing earth saga so just to keep that kind of in mind um, after that, you do have um, Death and Taxes, Bank Control, and Lands kind of taking up the next uh, chunk of decks. And Lands is always super popular on this uh, on this side of the country. In in Maryland, that they, they grow 
tabernacles of Pendle Vale. That's the only place organically that it grows. Every other uh, tabernacle is actually not referred to as a tabernacle, it's just a church. Um, yeah. <laughs> there, there are a lot of land players in Maryland. And it was like going into it, I knew Jarvis was going to be on lands. Like I knew Dave was going to be on lands. Uh, like Roy Wright Meyer was there and he always plays lands. Uh, Kevin King is a big lands player in Maryland. I actually think he was on Delaware though. But, you know, it's not surprising with them being in the area uh, and being very visible, prominent, good players of the deck that, like, other people pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, you have well, Elves, Jeskai Ragavan, uh, Green White Depths, Reanimator, and Doomsday kind of taking the next bit, um, you know, around that 13-ish decks uh, for those, which I think is, I mean, the Reanimator is the one that kind of surprises me but the rest of that is kind of on brand i think reanimator has been popping up in popularity um ever since eric landon came back people were like oh it's safe <laughs> yeah and, and the deck's solid i mean like if you're if you're looking at some of these decks that are uh, i don't want to say slower right um like you were talking about people having more uh, lands and stuff like that, and elves showing up. Like, elves still doesn't beat Elishnorn. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, so if that deck's gonna pop back up, that's not a, not a bad thing for this kind of deck. So. I also think the other thing is Delver is not as good against it as uh, it has historically been. Okay. Um, I think uh, Blue Red has cut a lot of their force negations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very rare to find any copies main deck, and at most it's one. Uh, and Red Black has actually gone up in discard spells with the addition of Grief. So it's kind of like a dangerous combination. Um, and even in the sideboard, a lot of people are off Surgical Extraction and they're on uh, Soul Guide Lantern. Obviously, Graveyard Hate is good against Reanimator, but Soul Guide Lantern is a lot less backbreaking for them versus like hitting all the crystal brands on their deck. Yes, absolutely. So that's definitely going to be a, a, a point in the reanimator, uh, reanimator column, I guess. Um, and then after that, like, and once again, this is kind of a smattering of stuff, uh, four-color control, which, honestly, like, I'm assuming those are band controls with uh, splashing red or something like that. Um, you have some blue Karn decks, you have some Jeskai control, like Hogak, uh, Cloudpost, Ninjas, I'm sure there's some other decks that are filling up that other column here. But, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty... And once again, I think, obviously, Delver is a whole other thing, but it's a pretty healthy distribution of the metagame, at least compared to what I kind of expected going in uh, to this event. Alright. Uh, we've been running a little long here. Uh, is there anything else you want to wrap up with? Nope. Okay. Cool. Let's start wrapping up. Uh, I guess before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to make sure we shout out our patrons because we haven't talked to, uh, talked about them in uh, a little bit. Uh, we have two patrons. Uh, thank you so much uh, to Chris Medikevich and Jason Murray for your continued support. Um, you guys obviously hear the little bumper in the beginning of the episode, so if you guys uh, want to support us, you guys know the links and know the stuff. So I guess let's uh, do the end of the show then. Uh, Maps, and where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Expedition Map on Twitter and at Expedition Map on Twitch. 
I, depending on what time we get home tomorrow, so the day this comes out, Wednesday, I may or may not stream some elves. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think I said elves. I meant to say eggs. Oh, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> I've been asked to stream it, and I'm definitely going to be playing it when I get home regardless, but I don't know. It kind of just depends on the temperament of my dogs and how tired I am. So we'll see. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BadLuckBandit. If you're interested in finding the podcast, you can find us at depth underscore podcast on Twitter as well. And once again, on Twitter, we have all of our links so you can find all this lovely information um, to our different uh, individual Twitters and to our um, PayPal and Patreon. All those fun links are there in our description. All right. Uh, I guess I'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Thank you.